Hey everyone, welcome back to the Steadfast Podcast. My name is Dale Overlock. I'm the pastor of the Steadfast Church in Bangor, Maine. And last week we had our introductory episode where we talked about the peace treaties going on in the Middle East. And we also gave an introduction to what really is the Bible. What is the Bible? And some basic questions on how to approach the Bible. And we're excited to have you back here for another episode. This week we're going to talk about the Supreme Court in our new segment. Uh, our new segment is called Some Things to Keep an Eye On. And on our Through the Bible segment, we will actually start from chapter 1 of Genesis and go verse by verse chronologically through the scripture. Again, if you enjoy the program, please subscribe to the podcast and let others know about it. So let's dig into the first segment, Some Things to Keep an Eye On. Some things to keep an eye on. This is our new segment where we match up what's happening in the world today with the Word of God, the Bible. And this week, we're going to tackle the subject of the Supreme Court. And as always, when we talk about what somebody has said, we would use quotes, what they actually said and not paraphrase it. So as far as the Supreme Court, Senator uh, the majority leader, Senator Mitch McConnell, he vowed that Republicans will move to fill the Supreme Court vacancy created by Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's death. And quoting Mitch McConnell here, he says, Americans reelected our majority in 2016 and expanded it in 2018 because we pledged to work with President Trump and support his agenda, particularly his outstanding appointments to the federal judiciary. Once again, we will keep our promise. President Trump's nominee will receive a vote on the floor of the United States Senate. Ed Cruz said this. I believe that the president should next week nominate a successor, successor to the court, which he, which he did, by the way. And I think it is critical that the Senate takes up and confirms that successor before Election Day. This nomination is why Donald Trump was elected. And the truth is, election is so important. Christians have been really praying to end, which, to put it bluntly, because it, uh, we're not going to cut any quarters here, to, to pray to end the murder of babies. That's what abortion is, the murder of babies. And we've been praying that the murder of babies as being a legal entity in the United States of America would end. And people have been praying that since before I was born. Where do the candidates stand? Joe Biden is for abortion. Donald Trump is not. So depending on where your values are, I would encourage you to vote accordingly. Now this, if, if this nominee passed and eventually the abortion laws change, this will be a great joy. It will, uh, the, the church will celebrate uh, as we're able to make abortions illegal. We're, that's what we pray. That's what we hope for. And our hope for that is a biblical hope. A biblical hope means it's an expectation. Okay? My hope is in Jesus Christ. He's coming back. And he's going to set things right. That is an expectation. It's a done deal. Something I'm trusting in. 
And my hope here is as well as um, the expectation that God can do this and that he's going to hear our prayers. He is sovereign and people have free will. Uh, and what a great joy it will be if abortions become illegal. It really would be a time of jubilee. In the Bible, the time of jubilee was the time period when everything was set right, set back to its original owner, set and set back to God's way. And that's 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 my hope. Um, if we are able to have the murder of babies as illegal in this land, indeed, it's going to be a huge thing. And, and it will be a time of jubilee, no doubt. The left, though, is uh, no doubt threatening violence. We have a vote. If we have a vote before the election, they're saying, hey, there's going to be violence. And look, the truth is there is already violence. It's already been violence. And if Donald Trump wins, no doubt there will be violence afterwards as well. This election here, I believe, is an opportunity for people of faith, people that have received Jesus as their Savior, and people that understand morality to stand up for life. The choice is yours. If 2020 wasn't crazy enough for you before the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the end of this year is going to be crazier as we we see a gigantic battle. It's going to be all the way to the end. It's, it's going to be a mess and a battle. 2020 will get crazier. Hard to think so, but but apparently things just get thrown one after the other. Um, we, we found out just uh, over the last couple of days that our president has COVID-19. Crazy year. So buckle your seatbelts. If you're a believer, no matter what's happening, I, I encourage you, rest in the Lord and just trust in his will. Okay, Trust in his will. Do the right thing. Stand up for life and, and uh, pray and just let God do his thing. Pray for revival. Our land needs revival. Our world needs revival. Pray for our leaders. We should be praying for them no matter what, no matter who's in position. Um, pray for the president. Pray for your government. Pray for our nation. Now, Senator Susan Collins, who is a senator here in Maine, where I'm located, she did what she always does and, and goes against the grain, saying we won't vote this close to the election. We're not going to do it. Um, Lisa Murkowski said the same thing. And in case you're wondering, uh, Susan Collins is uh, on the side of abortion. So would you pray with me, those that, that are for life, that are of faith? Let's pray for the vote to go through, that the nominee would go through and that uh, motions would be set in place that we would overturn the murdering of babies. And that's what it is. Um, the science, you can't deny the science behind that. It is it is murdering of babies. And I believe it. it it's, the Bible is very clear. It's God's will to protect these babies. Let's intercede on their behalf. Let's pray on their behalf. Now, if you're one that doesn't typically vote, and I believe you should vote every year, no matter what, but if you're one that doesn't typically vote, maybe this is the year. There's no bigger election in your lifetime than this year, really. The pendulum swing that could take place this year is significant. 
Senator Lindsey Graham says this. We got the votes to confirm Justice Ginsburg's uh, replacement before the election. We are going to move forward in the committee. We're going to report the nomination out of the committee to the floor of the United States Senate so we can vote before the election. That's the constitutional process. President Donald Trump said this. I think this scam that the Democrats are pulling, and it's a scam, it's talking about how the, the, the voting will be prolonged, that, that there's a plan uh, with a mail-in voting and all this uh, for the election to be drug out, to be dragged out. He said, I, President Trump says, I think the scam that the Democrats are pulling, it's a scam. This scam will be before the United States Supreme Court. And I think having the 4-4 situation is not a good situation if you get that. He continues and says, I think this will end up in the Supreme Court. And I think it's very important that we have nine justices. And he said, from what I heard, he doesn't even have to hold a hearing. You wouldn't have to hold a hearing. He's going to, I would think. But he wouldn't even actually have to hold one. You know? Most of these people are young. And speaking of the, the nominees before he nominated here, said most of these people are young and they just went through the process. You know, many of them just went through the process recently. So it's like, gee, let's let's look at the papers that are, that are 15 years old. No, I think his process is going to go very quickly, Trump said. And Trump, of course, made his decision uh, last weekend in Amy Comey Barrett. And uh, most people predicted that would happen. And you knew if as soon as that happened, attacks were going to take place, no matter who the nominee was, uh, that always takes place. But Amy Comey Barrett, one of the attacks that has taken place is on her faith. She is a, a believer and, and, and belongs to the Catholic religion, the Catholic faith. And President Donald Trump said this about um, those coming against her, that I, I think it's horrible what they're doing. They're playing the religious card, and it's frankly, they're talking about Catholics. It's a very major religion in our country. The Catholic Church is very well united on this. They're so thrilled that Amy was chosen. Chris Christie about the attack as well. He said, it's obvious what they're doing. She'll be strong. She'll be tough. And she'll stand up for what she believes in. Rudy Giuliani says this. It reveals a very strong anti-Catholic bias. That's a horrible thing to say. I don't have difficulty separating private and public morality. And here's the truth on all this stuff. There are actually several other Catholics on the Supreme Court. Okay, This isn't the first Catholic. Um, but there is a difference between a Catholic that lives their faith and just calls himself a Catholic. Same thing with us that believe in, in, in um Born again Christianity, um, which is the only kind of Christianity you must be born again. Okay, um, but th those of us that are evangelical, okay, many say they're Christians, but if you don't live the faith, are you really Christian? There's a difference, okay. And because Amy Barrett seems to live her faith, okay, uh, then that's why she's being attacked. Okay, some Catholics don't, just like some Christians, um, evangelicals don't. Uh, supposedly they call themselves Christians, but um, really evidence of your Christianity is by the fruit in your life. So uh, because she's genuine about her faith and obedient, um, they're, they're, they're attacking her, no doubt. Another thing I wanted to keep an eye on here, last week we only got to really one 
situation, but we're going to do more than one. We want to talk about the Supreme Court. Uh, another thing we got to keep our eye on as we talk about last day scenarios is the Temple Mount. Temple Mount in Jerusalem. The Bible actually speaks of there being someday a third temple. And this is, and it says that there will be sacrifices made unto God, the God of uh, Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac. Okay, According to Isaiah 66, though, these sacrifices that will take place will be rejected by God because the sacrifice, the real sacrifice, has already been made through Jesus Christ on the cross. Okay. So we're keeping our eye on this. And the whole purpose of the sacrifice, really the whole system, the, the day of atonement that took place in the Old Testament, all of that was to point to Jesus. Because yeah, uh, the, the sacrifice of animals couldn't atone for your sin. That was all a picture, all a covering, um, but it didn't do the deal. It, uh, the day of atonement was all a picture. Jesus was the only one that could pay for your sins. He's the only one that could pay for any of our sins. So picking up from last week's topic a little bit, now Israel has peace, and they've had peace with Egypt, right? with Jordan, we talked about, and the new peace treaty, uh, which was not really a treaty because it was never at war with these uh, two countries, um, but uh, nevertheless, they have peace relations with them, um, and that would be the United Arab Emirates we talked about last week, and Bahrain. The Muslim Post um, said this, says, can the Temple Mount be a trading card to entice the Saudis? U.S. President Donald Trump didn't even pause when asked by a reporter in Washington if Saudi Arabia would follow the United Arab Emirates, which last week signed a peace deal with Israel to normalize ties. And Trump speaking here says, I do. He said on Wednesday, Trump was so eager to answer that question from the White House podium it didn't even wait for the reporter to finish before interrupting her in the affirmative. It was as if, as if the Saudi foreign minister, uh, Faisal bin Farhan, had not just hours earlier announced that his country had no intention of signing a peace deal with Israel prior to its withdrawal to the pre-1967 lines within the context of a final status agreement for a two-state solution with the Palestinians. It goes on here in the in the story from the Jerusalem Post. It says Trump's son-in-law and special advisor Jared Kushner had been more cautious about Saudi Arabia when predicting which countries might agree to recognize Israel prior to any deal with the Palestinians, noting that it would happen, but perhaps not right away. Former U.S. ambassador to Israel, Martin Indyk, he speculated on Twitter this week and then in an interview with the Jerusalem Post, that one way to get Saudi Arabia to the table was to offer them some form of custodianship over Jerusalem's Temple Mount. Very interesting here. Uh, which is known to Muslims, the Temple Mount known to Muslims as Al-Haram Al-Sharif. Here's the truth. This Temple Mount is a big deal. And if they were to get Saudi Arabia and a peace treaty with Saudi Arabia. That would be a huge deal. That's that's the big player in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia. It would be a gigantic deal. And we will, we'll see. We're, we'll keep following this, what will happen with Saudi Arabia. But if it does happen, it's a big deal. We do see Saudi Arabia uh, in the scripture when you talk about Ezekiel 38-39 battle that we talked about last week. Uh, and it talks about a place called Sheba and Dedan, those Gulf states. 
And, and that, that's Saudi Arabia. That's that region. They're one of the protesting nations in the last days. It won't have a connection with those that are coming against Israel. It won't have a connection with Persia, which is Iran, Beth Pogamar, which is Turkey, Russia's coming against. Uh, Saudi Arabia will be protesting um, when Israel is attacked, okay, attacked by these countries. The, the Bible speaks of that. They're going to be a protesting nation. So very interesting about uh, the possible um, peace deal that could happen with Saudi Arabia and how the Temple Mount plays into that. So one of the things Saudis know is that Iran wants to take control of Saudi Arabia. They do. Because if they take care of Saudi Arabia, they really take control of the center of the Middle East. Okay? And they want that. Iran wants to do that. And uh, Saudis are aware of that. And they're aware of the protection and, and uh, the alliance with the United States and Israel and all this could be for them. And uh, we'll see what happens. We'll keep following this as well. So that is our news segment for this week. Uh, we are now going to go into our Through the Bible segment. What is Genesis? And when was the beginning? And in the beginning, who was actually there? Creation or evolution? And how old is the earth? And much more we're going to talk about as we go through the Bible, our Through the Bible segment, a chronological outlook to give you a full picture of the Bible, the Word of God. So now it's time to dig into our Bible study, which starts in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. So if you have your Bible, grab it and go to Genesis, chapter 1. First thing we're going to cover, though, before we actually get into Genesis 1, 1, is the title of the book. Title Genesis. It's actually taken from what's called the Septuagint. Septuagint LXX would be the Greek translation of the Old Testament scriptures. So yes, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. We know that. We talked about that last week. But the Septuagint translates the Hebrew scriptures to the Greek. Now, the Septuagint translation was ordered by Ptolemy, Philadelphus and Alexandria. And Josephus, Josephus is a, a, a Roman Jewish historian who you'll probably hear us talk about a lot because he was a, a, in the first century. And he tells us that this translation was actually made by 72 priests in 72 dates, this uh, Septuagint, which would represent six priests for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, Jesus. And an apostle named Paul, it actually both ended up quoting from this translation. So why is it exactly called Genesis here? Because Genesis means origin or it can mean birth, the beginning. Okay, It comes from the Greek verb geneo, which literally means to beget, 
or to give birth to. Okay, that's why it's called Genesis. Um, so that would the Genesis comes from the Septuagint. Okay, the Hebrew title for this book would not be Genesis. If they just took the Hebrew title, it'd just be in the beginning because it's the first word spoken in the book. Okay, so the first five books in the Scripture. They, uh, we often call it the, the book of Moses, the, the, the books of Moses, okay? The first five books, the Pentateuch. The writer of this book, because it's one of these five books, is Moses. But we'll learn about later in scripture as we go through. But even though Moses didn't come along until 300 years after the book of Genesis, after the book of Genesis actually ends 300 years later, He's still attributed to writing Genesis, and of course, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right? He would bring these things to account. The time period of this book would be somewhere between 1445 B.C. to around 1405 B.C. And the book of Genesis actually most likely was not the first book written, okay? The book of Job was most likely the first book written. But as far as chronological order of the events of them taking place, obviously creation happened before the book of Job. Okay, So the first part of Genesis we're going to cover before we get to the book of Job. You'll find out, though, that um, Moses here has not started the Bible. When we start reading here, he didn't does not start the Bible out telling us that God exists. You'll see no defense. No announcement that God is real here. It is written in a way that it is just assumed that everyone knows he exists. Because the truth is, people know he exists. People know that there's a God, whether they acknowledge it or not. And the Bible is written that way. Moses is writing as, as assuming that everybody knows that God exists. The Bible doesn't make any arguments or defense for the existence of God. It just comes out and starts speaking of him, as if everybody already knows he exists. The Bible does tell us, though, we can know without a shadow of a doubt that he exists because what we see around us in creation. We look around. Uh, what do we see? Design. If there's design, there's got to be a creator. Okay. Design does not happen by chance, and we'll get into that. A little later as we get into the topic of evolution versus creation. But we can know without a shadow of a doubt that God exists. Psalm 19 will say that the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Romans 1.20 says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. They're clearly seen. And they're being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You see, there will be nobody that stands before God on Judgment Day and says, "I didn't know. I didn't know you were real." No, that that will not stand. The very creation declares that there's a God, and God makes Himself clear to every individual on this earth, and no man will be able to stand before Him on Judgment Day and say, "I didn't know." So Genesis chapter 1 here. The first thing we're going to talk about is creation. 
And, and among creation, the first thing to talk about is the heavens and the earth. Verse 1 here of Genesis, taken from the New King James Version here, says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. So, first thing we got to address is, it says in the beginning, so when was the beginning? As far as we are concerned, as human beings, we can't really grasp that. We can't grasp forever. We can understand things like infinity. We understand the concept of it, right? We know that it goes on and on and on. That's what infinity means. But we can't really grasp it. We can't comprehend it. We know the concept of it, but we, we, we don't exist in infinity. We didn't we haven't been around forever, so we can't totally grasp it. But you see, God has existed forever. As human beings, that is not the case. But God has existed forever. There has never been a time that God did not exist. So as we come into this passage, knowing that the setting that has taken place here of in the beginning is eternity past. In the beginning is speaking of the origin, the beginning of something called time and space. Okay, we, we know what time is, right? We deal with time constantly. We know what space is. We, we dwell in space, okay? This was the beginning of time and space. Now, God, he exists outside of time and space. He doesn't need time and space. He can be in any time period, past, present, future, whatever he wants. He can be in any space. He can be in every place at once. That is God. We cannot. We exist in time and space. God does not. So in the beginning refers to the time where time and space came into existence. Before in the beginning was eternity past, where God has always existed. See, he's not limited by time and space like we are. Now, in the literal translation from the Hebrew, in this verse, it literally says, in the beginning, instead of God, in the literal translation says, in the beginning, Elohim, okay, translated as God. But it says, in the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. The Hebrew word for God is this. The Hebrew word for God is El, E-L, El. But Elohim is what is translated from the Hebrew here. Elohim is the plural for El. So El is a single. Uh, E-L is the singular for God. The plural for God is Elohim, okay? You'll notice here it's, it's plural in Elohim, but it's not God's here, okay? It is not G-O-D-S. It's not translated that. No, it's still translated God, so there's still a singular aspect to it. But it's also a plural in the sense that it's not El, but Elohim. So it's not plural gods here, but it's plural God, singular. Plural God. So right from the beginning of the Bible, we see what the believers call the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is not found in the Bible 
you, as far as the actual word, you won't see Trinity translated in your scripture. You won't see that actual word there. But the concept indeed is in the scripture. It's all over the place. And we see it right here, what is known as the Trinity, the concept of it. The Trinity is God in the form of three. Okay. It's God plural here in the sense that there's a form of three, but also it's not God's, but it's one God. I know that can get confusing. Okay. Uh, what that means is it's God singular, but it's plural in the sense that it's Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the truth is, I'm not going to explain the Trinity to you any more than that, because I can't. I can't. The truth is, we really can't understand the Trinity more than that. The Apostle Paul would actually say later in the scripture, he says, great is the mystery of the Godhead. This is what it's speaking of, the Godhead, the Trinity, the three and one, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is the Godhead. And Paul would say that that's a mystery. The Trinity is a mystery. So if it's a mystery, it's, it's something that, that's not totally revealed. Okay, We can't totally grasp it. But even though we can't totally grasp uh, what it is, we, we understand the concept of it. And we know that it's to be true, that the complete Godhead is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we know that it says, in the beginning, Elohim. So we know at the beginning of where time and space exists, who was there? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, God, Elohim. Okay, They were here at the creation of the heavens and the earth. We don't have to grasp it, but we must grasp the concept of it. And that is all we need to grasp. And we just accept the truth of the Trinity. Now, as far as truth, to come up with any form of truth in this world, I believe we have to have the right foundation to build upon. If your base is off, your conclusion won't have the right results. If you know your base is off in your math problem, you don't got the right base, you're not going to get the right answer, okay? So to come up with any form of truth in this world, we must have a firm foundation to build upon. Any truth must come from the understanding that in the beginning, God, okay, that has to be the foundation that he was already there before the beginning and eternity passed. He's always existed. And if you try to eliminate God out of the equation, then there's a problem. Because if you eliminate God out of the equation, then the question is, how did we human beings happen? How, how, do, we, how, do, how do we come about if there, there was no God? How did this earth take place? How did time and space begin if there was no God in the beginning? So whatever concept human beings come up with for how everything began, you can just say, well, where did that come from, right? Uh, well, we came from this. Okay, where did that come from? Okay, Pastor, so that means we can also ask the question here. Some will say, okay, well, if you say that, Pastor, then where did God come from? And the truth is, I don't have an answer to that. I just know what the Scripture teaches. 
The scripture teaches that there is no answer to God of where did God come from. The scripture teaches that God had no beginning. The scripture teaches that he has always existed. And if you come to see the truths of scripture and learn that they are 100% accurate, we just accept that fact, okay? There's enough in there that proves to us, hey, this is real. We can just trust other things based on the fact that it says it in the scripture. And we can just accept the fact that God always existed because he says so. He was there before the beginning. There's no explanation in the beginning here, right? Just starts out talking about him. Already at work at the beginning. Doesn't start explaining that God exists. No, it assumes that we already know that. Psalm 93 actually describes him as being of from everlasting to everlasting. Um, God is everlasting. Okay. Psalm 93 says it. The scripture says it. Psalm 90 says that before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth. So before the mountains were brought forth or you had ever formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's always existed according to scripture. So it says here again, in the beginning, Elohim, God, created here. In the original language, the word for created here is bara. Now, bara literally means to make something out of nothing. Now, there are a lot of new things made every year, no doubt. But all the new things that we make, it's made out of the same elements that have already existed. The same elements you, you find out. On the ground out there, that's what we human beings are made up of, out of the dust. The same elements, the same elements that have been here since the beginning are still here today. There are new, new, no new elements. Here, the heavens here literally had no elements, nor the earth, okay? They had not existed. The elements we have today have always existed since the beginning. But here, the heavens literally had no elements, nor the earth. And all of a sudden, it's there. God made them out of literally nothing, not elements like we make stuff. Total original design by God. There's no original design by human beings. We, uh, we make stuff out of elements that already exist. You see, we human beings, we didn't just happen by accident. The earth... The sky, the sun, the birds, even bugs, all creatures, everything, even, even the dust in the air. You know, the dust has a purpose. Everything was created for a purpose. It wasn't an accident that creation took place. If you look at the in-depth details of an animal, if you look at the natural instincts of everything, in this world, to think that it just randomly happened makes absolutely no sense at all. There's no doubt some kind of thought, some kind of genius thought behind everything in creation. Somehow, everything has intricate details. 
and the ability to survive and thrive, which is how the creatures are made, is amazing. They're made for certain environments, for their habitats, and and it, it, it just creation is the only thing that makes sense. The Earth itself is ninety three million miles away from the sun. We just all of a sudden are the perfect distance from the sun. Did it just randomly appear in the exact spot it would need to be to have life? Because if we were a little closer to the sun, the earth would burn up. A little further away, we'd freeze to death. It seems as if the earth was placed in a specific spot for a specific purpose. Now, if you look around, there is no doubt design everywhere. We have a human body, and this human body, when it gets sick, what does it have? It has systems designed in it to fight off that sickness. Amazing. Genius. When I cut myself, or, uh, or I'm not paying attention, and I'm hammering something, and I hammer my thumb, right? And it turns black and blue, and things all... Uh, sore and everything, and uh, what happens? Your body heals itself. You cut yourself, your body heals itself. You get a bruise, it gets healed over time. A baby, a baby is somehow totally dependent on his mom inside the womb, right? Not needing to breathe air, and the moment it comes out, it starts breathing. All of a sudden, a miracle, really. A design, a genius design. The designer of all this must be some kind of super genius. That's the only explanation. It must be someone bigger, something bigger than we could ever comprehend. Now, what really is easier to believe? A, des a designer cause order to take place in this universe? Or it all happened by chance? Now, if I took something and blew it up, That thing that I blew up in a million pieces, it wouldn't all of a sudden start to evolve into something intelligent. No, what would happen? No, it, it, it's chaos, right? I blow it up, it's chaos. It's a mess all over the place. It isn't all of a sudden going to put itself back together. It would need somebody to do that. It would need a designer. The whole Big Bang Theory. Those that believe that Say a big bang took place. Okay, a big let's say a big bang took place. Okay, boom, there it goes. Okay, so what happens with a big bang? Boom, it would be chaos, right? So to say that, like breaking a bottle in a million pieces, if I did chaos, it's not gonna all of a sudden be in some kind of intelligent design. No, it's gonna be a mess. And if the big bang theory took place. A big bang took place, that would mean chaos, right? But somehow, order has come out of it, right? To think that somehow chaos happened and order came out over time after time evolving makes no sense, of, no sense at all. Chaos doesn't do that. What brings order in design? A designer does. A painting doesn't just all of a sudden 
look beautiful and, and, and show a landscape. No, somebody put thought into it to get it to look a certain way. If I just threw paint on a page, okay, that would be chaotic, right? But but a designer would take the paint and do what he wanted with that painting. Chaos does not bring order and design. A designer does. So believing in chance really doesn't make sense. There really is no such thing as something happening by chance. Chance really is only a probability. And here's the truth. If you were to flip a coin 10 times, okay, a little math lesson. You flip it 10 times, okay, the probability of it being heads or tails, right, be 50%, right? 50% for heads, 50% tails, okay? So if you went ahead right now and flipped it 10 times and see if you get five and five, probably not going to happen. Okay, well, did it have anything to do with chance, right? It should be 50-50, right? Truth, here's the truth about it. Whether that coin is going to land on heads or tails has nothing to do with the amount of times you flipped it. It has everything to do with how hard you flipped it, right? If you flipped it this hard, it's going to land here. You flipped it this hard, a little lighter, it's going to land here. That is not chance. That is by the design of however you flipped it. There's action behind it. It's not chance. But there were decisions being made for it. How hard am I flipping it? There is no such thing as chance. There is a designer of this universe. We'll continue that thought as we go into the next segment. If you're in the Central Maine area and would like to visit the Steadfast Church, we are located at 744 Hogan Road in Bangor, Maine. We have a Sunday service at 10 a.m. Currently, we are going through the Book of Luke. We have a midweek service on Wednesday evenings at 6 p.m. Currently, we are going through the Book of Jeremiah. On Saturday evenings from 5.30 to 8, we have our youth group, which uh, target age is from sixth grade to 12th grade and we just actually finished up our NerdCon event uh, yesterday and which was a great success as we talked about um, how Jesus was a friend of villains like Matthew the tax collector and uh, we will be starting next week next Saturday night a, a new series on uh, called true story and it's about our identity and finding our identity in Christ our youth group meets from 5.30 to 8 on Saturday evenings. Now, on the subject of atheism, it is really harder to believe God doesn't exist than he does. It really is. Creation declares, and we talked about this, that there is a God. The very creation declares. Some people, though, they think they must visualize to believe. If I can't see it with my eyes, if I can't see God with my eyes, I'm not going to believe it. There's a problem with that thought, though. 
There are many things in our lives that we believe without a shadow of a doubt, but we can't see it. God actually made many invisible things, actually. Look around now. Do you see an atom? Can you see an atom right now? Look around. You can't, right? But you know it exists, right? You know it exists. How about the wind? Right? We know that the wind exists, but you can't see the wind. You say, well, I, well, I can feel it. That's why I know it exists. I can feel it. I will answer with the same conclusion. I can feel God as well. In fact, I have a personal relationship with him. He talks to me through his word called the Holy Bible. And I know for a fact that he has changed my life for the better when I wasn't able to do it on my own. I feel God. I know he exists. God is spirit. But we'll find out later that he reveals himself through a person named Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh. He is the complete image of the invisible God. Do you want to see the invisible God? Come see Jesus. He is the complete image of the invisible God. You may not see him, but there should be an assumption by all that God exists. Okay? You might not see him face to face right now, but you should assume he exists because that is reality. If questioning the existence of God, Maybe you are, then I want you to think about this. What if you are wrong? If you are wrong and the Bible's right, then you're going to be in big trouble. Here's the deal. If we Christians are wrong, which we're not, there's absolutely a God, and Jesus is God, and he's the only way to heaven. But let's say we were wrong. What harm has it caused anyone else by us believing what we believe? None. Rather, actually bless many with the love and kindness, generosity that following Jesus brings. But what if you're wrong? Consider what Albert Einstein said. Many, many would say Albert Einstein, he was a genius, right? He was a smart guy. Okay? Consider what he said. And he was... No doubt, pretty wise, right? One day, students in one of Albert Einstein's classes, they were saying they had decided there was no God. And Einstein asked them, how much of all the knowledge in the world that you had among themselves collectively as a class? How much does the class know all together? And then the students discussed it for a while and decided, hey, we know 5% of all human knowledge. They didn't, but let's say that figure's true, okay? We know uh, 5% of human knowledge, okay? And Einstein thought their estimate was a little generous. But he replied, is it possible God exists in the 95% you don't know? Think about that. You say uh, God isn't real. How much knowledge do you really know? I doubt you know 5% of all the world's knowledge, but let's say you do. What if God exists in that 95% that you don't know? Uh, 
And I am convinced it takes a greater faith not to believe in God. The Bible is very clear that no man will have an excuse on Judgment Day. The very creation declares that, that, that there's a God. He is everlasting to everlasting. So consider that. Consider the reality of God. And, I, and if, you, if you come to the scripture with an open heart, an open mind, and, and really want to know, God, are you real? If you're real, show me. If you really want to know, he will reveal himself to you. I guarantee that. So in the beginning, God, Elohim, created Farah from nothing, the heavens and the earth. How old is the earth, anyways? If you talk to scientists that's foundations are not based on the Bible, and you might hear them say billions of years old. In public school systems, you might hear billions of years old. The Bible doesn't teach such things. And that's why we need to start with the Bible as our foundation in the beginning. If we don't start there, remember our base, then our end of our calculation is wrong. Scientists that do take the Bible as a foundation, they're following accurate science. Because they have the foundation right. If your foundation is messed up, you're not going to come out with accurate figures. The truth is the Bible doesn't tell us how old the earth is. Okay. So therefore, if the Bible doesn't tell us how old the earth is, we don't know. Many Christianity will say it's this many years old. We don't know. And I'm okay with that. Here's the key to the whole Bible found right here in verse 1. If you can just believe this, believe verse 1, then you'll be able to believe the entire Bible. This is the part you need to get. In the beginning, God. You can acknowledge that and you get that. If you believe that there is a God and that this is his book, the rest of it is easy to believe, right? If God can create, God can do anything. If God created out of nothing, no elements, right? We create out of elements. If you create it out of nothing, the heavens and the earth, then the rest is easy to believe. So God here in the beginning, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. The heavens here. This is speaking of what we can see. We look up, we see the heavens, okay? It won't mention the uh, angels in scripture in the creation here. We don't see that here. We know they existed at this point because of the book of Job, however. Though. So let's look at verse 2 here. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, the CSB. says this. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. All right, so the original translation, the original literally says the earth became chaos. Okay, so the, uh, now the earth was formless and empty. The literal translation says the earth became chaos and vacancy. 
I'll read it from the literal. Became chaos and vacancy and darkness was over the surface of the abyss. The spirit of Elohim, which we translated God, remember Elohim, the Trinity. The spirit of Elohim was vibrating over the surface of the waters. Let me read that again from what it's originally translated at literal um, words here. It says the earth became chaos and vacancy and darkness was over the surface of the abyss. And the spirit of Elohim was vibrating over the surface of the waters. And to be honest, this verse has been a tough one for me. Because it literally says here, it became chaos. But God doesn't seem to, in his nature, create things to become chaos and vacancy. That doesn't go with God's creation. And because of this became chaos here, some scholars see what's called a gap between verse 1 and verse 2. A gap of time. Now, I'm not sure here. And I don't believe anyone can be sure on just what is going on here between verse 1 and verse 2. It appears, however, though, that God created the heavens here and the earth. And then something here happened. That something is the earth here, it says, become, becoming chaos here. Now, the earth, earth was formless and empty, and the literal translation is becoming chaos. Now, to give you a full picture of this verse, so you can kind of put your mind around this verse for yourself, we must bring up Isaiah 45, 18. And reading literally from the linear of the Hebrew text here, it says, Thus says Yahweh, one creating the heavens. He, the Elohim, one forming the earth, one making the earth, he established the earth, not chaos. Okay? I know that sounds like a run-on sentence, jumbled, but that's how it's literally in the linear. Okay? I'll say that one more time. Thus says Yahweh, one creating the heavens, that's Yahweh. He, the Elohim, God, one forming the earth, one making the earth. He established the earth, not chaos. He created the earth to dwell of, it said. I, Yahweh, formed her, and there was no further. So he created the earth to be inhabited, it says there in Isaiah, not of chaos. So when he created it, he created it to be inhabited, not of chaos. But yet in verse 2, it clearly states it became chaos. So now as we continue here, we were going to get into what is the six days of creation, okay? And I believe once we get to the six days, it is six literal days of creation. Once they start, where it starts saying, and this was the first day. But between verse 1 and verse 2, I'm, I'm just not sure. But whatever chaos is going on here, God sits straight, no doubt. As it says here, his spirit it says God, his spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water. Literally, it says his spirit vibrates over the surface of the waters. Now, the debate on how old the earth is, no one really knows. I think the most evidence that we have points to around 6,000 years old, but no one knows for sure. 
The Bible does not tell us. The billions of years don't seem to make sense, but it does go along with the theory of evolution, though. So many who don't see the Bible as the foundation basis for science push that line of millions of years or billions of years. But if God is who he says he is, God would have no problem making things appear in its exception very old. Okay, I'm going to plant a tree over here, God says. I'm going to put a tree right here. It's already a million years old. It's already a thousand years old. It's already old when he made it. God can do that. In fact, when Adam was created, was Adam created a baby? No, Adam was created old, already aged. Okay, Adam was created a full-grown man, fully developed. Couldn't have God done that with the rest of the world? If you believe the beginning, right? In the beginning, God created. God can do what he wants, right? Adam was already created with age-dating factors. If God can do that, there is no way anyone can determine how old this world is, right? If God can make things with age-dating factors, nobody can come up with how old this earth is. Because no one was alive when they were there. Okay? When God created, no one was alive. So we just have to go by what the Word of God says to paint the best picture we can. And our understanding here will be how much God wanted to reveal to us. We don't, we don't need to understand it all. Just what he wants us to understand on this matter. And the rest, we just need to accept by faith. And I'm okay with that. God could have created the earth with fossils already there. He could have said, I'm going to plant fossils here. He could have looked at it and said, that, that's, that's a million years old there. When in reality... People say, look and say, that's a million years old. Reality, God could have created that fossil a million years old. God can create things with age-dating factors. Okay? So nobody knows how old the earth is. Now, what we don't have in the record of creation here is the creation of angels. We know God created them, but when did he actually do it? We know from scripture that the angels were created before the heavens and the earth in the book of Job. When God came to Job in chapter 38, verse 4 through 7, he said, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? Speaking to Job. Okay, where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of the world? Job, where were you when the morning stars, or it could be translated angels there, sang? Or more accurately, the original translation doesn't say sing, but raises a shout, okay? But the point is, the morning stars, the angels, the angels were there when the foundations of the world were laid. So we know that they were around at this time. So the question that comes to mind is, when did Lucifer, who we know as the devil today, when did he rebel against God? Very soon, we, we, we will see in the creation story, you will be right here deceiving Eve early on, right? So what, what most logical to me is he was around a while before the little literal six days of creation. Okay, He was there when the, the foundations of the world were laid. And so there may be a spot for his fall actually between verse 1 and verse 2. Could this be the fall? Would his fall be the chaos that was talked about that came upon the earth? Would it be the fall of Lucifer? 
It makes sense to me. But again, we don't know here. We just know somehow the heavens and the earth, which God created to be inhabited, to be dwelt in, they became chaos and vacancy, the language says. Some call this gap theory if you believe there was a gap in the days of creation. I don't believe there was a gap when it starts saying in the upcoming verses, and this was the first day, and this was the second day. I don't believe there's any gap there. But between verse 1 and 2, I think that's a possibility, maybe. What we do know is something chaotic is happening there. So what happened on the earth after its creation, and when God's spirit moved upon the waters, we don't know. Was there life? Was Satan involved in the chaos? Was the creation of heaven and earth more than 6,000 years? Like uh, many Christians believe? That's possible. We don't know. No one has the answers to that. What we do know is from the time man started, from the time Adam was created, that the earth is about 6,000 years. We do know that. Okay? So if you, uh, if a science, you hear scientists say that the earth is millions or billions of years old, maybe. Okay? The Bible doesn't answer that. But they're wrong to say since mankind was formed, okay? Which, uh, which they don't. But um, they, they, they talk about evolution. But from what could be the recreation or whatever is going on here, when the Spirit of God comes upon here, uh, the word chaos here, there's no argument about it being around 6,000 years old. That That is nothing we can argue about. From Adam to now is about 6,000 years old. That is clear. But what actually happens between verse 1 and 2, how long that is, we don't know. You can't use the gap theory to explain away, though, ancient fossils, though, okay? Ancient fossils would actually mean that something died, right? A fossil is something dead. The scripture is very clear that death came to earth by one man, Adam, okay? So we got to keep that in mind. So we can't explain that away with a gap theory, not at all. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore is by one man sin entered into the world, that man Adam, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So anything that died in the world must have done so after Adam, because by his sin death entered the world, the scripture says. So if a fossil is a million years old, the reason would be is because God created it that way. There is no fossil that is literally any older than six to 7,000 years as far as existence in time and space. Because Adam hasn't been around, around that long, and Adam, through Adam, death came into the world. So could the earth be millions of years old in its original creating of the heavens and the earth? Possibly. But I don't think so, but it's possible. But definitely the fossil record cannot be in a literal sense. So that's going to be our Bible for this week. You join us uh, next week. We'll pick up in verse 3 here in our study chronologically through the, the Bible. And we'll leave you with a little message from the Steadfast Church. So I just wanted to encourage you to settle this one thing in your heart today. In the beginning, God. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. If you can believe that, if you can believe in the beginning, God, that he exists and he created, you can trust God with everything else. In the beginning, God, Elohim, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit created everything with genius thought. He's indeed worthy of our praise. And know this today. Christ loves you. Jesus loves you. And we encourage you to stay steadfast. Keep staying steadfast. Know that Christ, he committed to you totally on the cross. It was only right that we commit to him. So let's commit to him together. Let's grow together and stay steadfast. We'll see you next week.